Good evening. There's a, uh, a joke that I've heard by several preachers here before that kind of goes to preachers. Watch out. Usually the answer is absolutely nothing. But tonight I assure you I'm not a preacher. And so I'm going to put my watch here and it means something. It means I know I have 15 minutes up here before you. But when I get down, I'm going to take it with me because PD's coming up, and then it doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> I hear he's got about three hours worth of notes, so uh, I, I assure you that I will uh, take care of my message to you quickly. As you know, this day has been devoted to the second greatest command. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark. We'll turn to chapter 12 and start in verse 29. And read through verse 31. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the verses, these are the verses that form the groundwork for what this day is about to us. As this verse teaches and has been emphasized today, setting ourselves aside and our desires aside for the good of one another fulfills this second greatest command. And in doing so, as Matthew 25 and verse 4, as we go about tending to those around us that are in need, also fulfills the greatest command. This morning, Jeff Fortner, Jerry Hill, and David spoke to you about the responsibilities, the opportunities that we have to fulfill the second greatest command. As it relates to our community and the world around us, those in which we come in contact with every day. For the next few years, we'll follow this command and obey God by loving those around us in and close to our own We don't typically have a scripture reading. But if, if we did, if you would turn to, to the book of Genesis, in chapter 4, this would be the one that we would have read uh, prior to the lesson tonight. Beginning in verse 3 and continuing all the way till 9. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of, fruit, uh, uh, offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Perhaps one of the most thought-provoking questions in the, in the Bible is the one asked by Cain, Am I my brother's keeper? Cain had gone and, and out of his rage killed his brother Abel because, of, because Abel's offering was accepted. And in his response to the Lord, when the Lord asked, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? This is a question that we should ask ourselves today. 
Cain asked this question to avoid confronting God with his sin. But tonight, we're going to use Cain's question to God in a little different way. If we are following the second greatest command, as Christ intended, then we must answer this question, yes, I am my brother's keeper. But today, in the world and the society that we live in, this is strongly opposed. It's frowned upon. In the book of John, chapter 15, verse 18 through 20, Christ tells his apostles, If the world hates you, hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. We are strongly opposed in this world today if we seek to be our brother's keepers. Whether it be because of the constitutional rights that have been set before us for our own good, for the civic organizations that have been formed to look out for our best interest, or the way that we as humans in this world have trained ourselves to shut others out of our own personal lives. As a society, we, have, we believe that we are not responsible for anyone but ourselves, and our motto has become, as long as I don't hurt you and you don't hurt me. The sad part is that in some ways that has crept into the church. Where in the Bible does it provide us with instruction or example that says that we should not look after one another for the sake of our privacy? Does the church in Acts... When, when the church in Acts comes together to worship, did they leave their, their assemblies, go to their own separate homes, and, and not have contact with one another until they came back to worship? Let's read in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 44 through 47. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added daily to the church of those who were being saved. Although these verses certainly are talking about and implying that when they came together to worship, but this is talking about their daily lives. They came together, they were a part of their lives. In no way did the, the thinking of our society today have any part of what the, their daily lives were. They did not shut each other out. Do we not have the responsibility to care for one another? And it's only through this close relationship that we must develop, this daily relationship that we must develop, that we can get to know one another and get to know one another on a level that we know when something's wrong. And we know when someone needs attention and needs to be ministered to. On the front of your bulletin this morning, the title for tonight's lessons uh, was Loving One Another, Whether at the Front Door or at the Back Door. The elders of Mount Julia have decided that the venue by which we will address the back door of this congregation is through the Lost Sheep Ministry. The single objective of this ministry is to close the back door of the congregation. Many, if not most, of our ministries 
work and are essential, but work to open the door of the church and to welcome the community and anyone who's seeking, everyone and anyone who's seeking a relationship with God. That is an essential part of our duty as Christians. It fulfills the second greatest command. However, if we do not work just as hard to close the back door and to prevent losing one another, then we have failed to follow the second greatest command. It's sad to realize that people are out there and searching and seeking for God and come to church because of God, but they leave the body because of man. Whether or not, whether it be else because of death is due to man that they leave the body of Christ. These three books I got uh, about a week ago from the office. Uh, my intention was to go through these books and, and uh, see what they contain. These three books represent approximately the past 10 years of those who are no longer with us. Some of those certainly are because of death, because they've passed on from this world. Some of those are because they moved from this area and are now attending a church somewhere else. But there's a large portion of the pages in these three binders that are those that once were members that for no other reason no, for no other good reason, they could be here tonight. Each week, there's a report generated that identifies anyone who was absent for um, four weeks in a row or longer. This list, although not 100% accurate because it's based on our attendance cards, is a good tool and, and used to help identify those uh, that we need to, to minister to and to, to look after. However, there are studies and, and some tapes that I recently listened to uh, of a, a seminar presented on this subject indicated that once a person has left uh, a congregation, there's a window of about six to eight weeks in which you have to approach them uh, to find out what is wrong, to, to see what can be done if you have any hope of bringing them back. If you can make it within that window, the odds are much in, much in your favor, in their favor, to be able to be restored back to the congregation. However, if we rely totally on data and paperwork and attendance cards, many times it's after four weeks that there's a trigger that says this person needs to be, we need to, what's, what's going on? This person needs some help. We're close to the end of our window of opportunity at that point. But tonight's lesson is not really about attendance. As David has said before on Sunday evenings, uh, chances are if you're here tonight, you don't need a lesson on attendance. Neither is it the intent of the lesson to imply that this congregation does not work to keep people from falling away. That's not true. But with any congregation or group of any kind, whether it be secular or spiritual, as it grows, it must pay attention to nurturing its body in order to grow and to prevent dying. 
This lesson is about restoring and maintaining the unity of the church's members. So often our, atten our attention gets heightened when a uh, member of our church family is suddenly missing uh, or we, and we find ourselves, well, where are they? Or has anybody seen them lately? Or, or it's been six weeks. It's been two months since we've seen them. We become aware of potential problems after they have happened many times. Although more prevalent as the size of the congregation grows, it can exist in any church, in any body, across the world. Unless there's a concerted effort to notice those absent from our number. Though it is God's will for us to go after and retrieve those who have fallen away, it is more desirable that we work to prevent the situation from occurring in the first place. This is the priority of the lost sheep ministry. There are certainly those that, that there are certainly times in those that we need to reach out and, and see if we can help and see and try to restore our number. But the main intent and the priority is for us to maintain our current number, maintain the souls that are here, and to continue to add to that and grow, grow God's body. But certainly, this is hard. It would be a lie to say that this is easy. The book of James in chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Note that in this verse there is no more emphasis on the one who has fallen away than the one who works to bring to restore the one that's fallen. Scripture certainly indicates that it is, it, is, uh, it is a sin to fall away from, from the body of Christ. But it is also sin if we let them go. How hard is it to wander from the truth? Well, no effort's really required. You can just sit back. You can feel the drift, see which way the, the current tides are flowing, just follow them along. You don't need to have a goal. You don't need to establish any kind, of, uh, any kind of thing to look ahead for and to follow. The world will just take you on downstream and you'll just ease away from the truth. But how hard is it to turn someone back? Well, as David has presented to us many times in the past in Ezekiel, someone is needed to stand in the gap. And that's not easy. Someone is needed to stand up against the influences of the world, to stand against the influences of Satan in the world, to point the way back, signal the dangers, to pour out your concerns for the soul in, in trouble in prayer, to extend forgiveness. The 23rd verse of Jude calls it snatching them from the fire to save them. And in Galatians, Paul indicates in, in chapter 6, verse 1, he terms it as a gentle restoring. What a balance of tough poise and meek strength that is. It is difficult. It can be difficult. But in doing so, it fulfills the second greatest command. Which are you doing? Passage in Ezekiel, one of the verses which is used as a, uh, 
as a verse to remind remind us what our task is uh, for the lost sheep ministry. Uh, a fairly lengthy passage, but I'd like to read it for you. Uh, talks about what we're speaking of at this very moment in the terms of shepherds and sheep. And the work, this is Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning in verse 1 through 16. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back that that was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there were no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely, because my flock became a prey, my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd. Nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand, and I will cause them to cease feeding their sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they, that they may no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places that, where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and on their fold shall be and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek that what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. This lesson tonight is not focused on exactly in the logistics of how this ministry will be carried out. The goal here tonight was to establish the foundation for the need of the, for the work and to provoke each mind here tonight to think about standing in the gap and to think about if you are your brother's keeper. The summary sheets in the SOS book give more detail about what is needed today in the lost sheet ministry the opportunities to serve, the goals for the ministry, and how we should carry that out. In the coming weeks, many, many have mentioned to me um, that they would like to be involved, and that is certainly appreciated. There are many more that are needed in order to carry out this work. We can fill out attendance cards. We can fill out reports. We can fill out books and keep track of numbers. But in the end, numbers are not relationships. We have to develop relationships amongst ourselves, 
develop close relationships so that we know when another is in trouble. And it's not till four, it's not four weeks before an attendance card wasn't filled out that we know that there was a problem. And through those relationships, we can help restore those that have fallen away, and we can help maintain the souls in this congregation that we have. Thank you very much. First, and I said, well, that's fine because I enjoy hearing what he has to say. He always has it laid right out and he said oh no that's not what we mean we want to make sure he has time so that's why that's where that came from and you know I I appreciate and and understand it I I thought at first maybe uh, Jeff was aggravated at uh, Tama and was going to get her her back or something for making her listen to me I I really believe in in what we're talking about I I really believe that, that brotherly love in general is what generates the congregation surrounded by God's love. In the ministry that I have, you know, I'm sure that every deacon enjoys the ministry that they, they are working with because they know it's good. But to me, I told the elders, they didn't make, have to make this a ministry. I didn't have to be the deacon. I like doing what I do. I like working with uh, David McAdoo and Rick and Stevie and, and everybody that, that does this. I enjoy that. And tonight I'd like to explain to you why I think it's so important. And it will cover some of the ministry of, of seating people, but it'll also cover, I think, what it does. It, it starts and generates the first attitude that we have to have. What I'd like to do is, if you would, we're going to use a, a few different scriptures tonight. Uh, We're going to be in James, so if you'd like to go to uh, James, the second chapter to start with, and then we're going to be looking in 1 John, and then the book of John, and uh, I don't think we could talk about uh, brotherly love without talking about what we call the golden rule. But so far as the seating, let's let's look and see what James, uh, the, the great teacher, uh, the brother of Jesus has to say. He uh, is talking to two brethren, two members of a uh, local church. And in James chapter two, 2, he says, My brother, did not hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come unto you assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come, come in a poor man with filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, Stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you should love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin 
and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Okay, now skip right on down, and I would like to apply verse 19 and 20 to this. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? You know, we can have brotherly love. We can love our neighbor and in our heart say we love our neighbor. But if we don't practice that, if our works don't show it, is it really there? When somebody comes in in the morning on Sunday morning worship service, I wish we had to have ushers to do a job on Sunday night. On Sunday morning, I enjoy the pressure of having to find a place for somebody to sit. That's enjoyable. And one thing that I would really like, and I'm not, this congregation is full of love, but I'd like to challenge you with some thoughts. Just challenge you with this, because I think this is one of the things that we're going to be facing over the next few years, or at least I hope so. You know, we ought to be elated, elated, to have to sit like this on a seat. It ought to excite us to have to scoot to the middle. We ought to be glad that somebody sat in our spot. Okay? We ought to be glad. And why? Because that means more people, more souls are here with us glorifying God. Is that, I mean, is, you know, we talk about numbers, and I agree with data. You can't, you, but, you know, that's numbers is true. We have our seats. You know, some of us take up a little more room than others on the seats. But, you know, isn't it great? One of the best worship services I've ever been to, I reckon that it impressed me more in my life, I wound up sitting in the dirt. I didn't understand two-thirds of what was being said. But everybody there... Everybody there wanted to be there. They wanted to worship. And we started out sitting on made-up benches. Well, that ran out, so we started putting some benches, put some boards on some block. And that ran out, so I sat on the block. And a lady came in, and I gave that block to her, and she gave it to an older man. And he sat on that block, and she sat down in the dirt with me. And you know what? I didn't understand a word she was saying after the thing, but she hugged me, and I understood that. Okay? When we are excited about having to scoot in, when we are excited about being crowded, when we're excited about the elders telling us, hey, we have this opportunity to do this and to do that for growth, not for numbers, but for souls that are here. We shouldn't worry. We shouldn't worry about, oh gosh, it was miserable this morning. That guy I sat by, he, he kept wiggling, and they had a child in front of me that kept wiggling. Bring that wiggling kid here. And you keep bringing that wiggling child here because that wiggling child may help me down the aisle. I hope if God lets me live long enough, let him find me a place to sit. Because we're here to worship. And our worship spills over. Our worship spills over into how we address life. What is brotherly love? 
It means we love our brother. You know, I was going to say this to last. That's kind of like the speaker that uh, spoke Wednesday night. He was going to save something and save something. He wound up doing it out of thing. But I, I'd like for us to, um, to read a couple of things. Let's, let's look at uh, Luke 6, 31 through 35. I'm reading in the, the King James Version, and I printed this off because it's bigger print for me to see. But, uh, pre, please listen to what Jesus said. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is it? You know, if my daughter doesn't love me, shame on me because I, I haven't raised her right. It says, what credit is it? For even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is it? For sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But like David said this morning, but love your enemy, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the mo Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. I've heard people say, you know, it, I, I, I do, I love most people, but that, this one particular person, you know, they're just not lovable. And I know that y'all would never believe that I wouldn't be unlovable, and Susan would never tell you that. In reality, she'd tell you, I'm probably unlovable a lot. And you know, I've often thought, I have friends here. I have good friends here. But I want to love everybody here. There's a difference. You don't have to be the best buddy to, to love somebody. But you've got to genuinely care about them. And we know that because God said that... I am the example. Look what I've done. He said, love me. But as we love God, if you love somebody, don't you do what you think is best for them? Don't you try to help them? Well, that's what God's doing with us. So if we love God, then we have to do this. And then God says, and these are some of my favorite words in the Bible. We sang the song this morning, but it's in 1 John 4 and 7. 1 John 4 and 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now check this out. For he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. How would you like to stand up in the, in the last... I know I don't want to stand up in the last days and say, you know, you don't know me. I don't know you because you didn't love. When I say, Lord, I have loved you. But he says, if you don't love, you don't love me. You don't even know me. In this love, not that we love God, but he loved us. And here's the example. And sent his son to be the propitiation or 
to care over for forgiveness of sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. So, you know, the reality of it is we don't have an option. We don't have an option. Some of you think that when I come up and I, y'all know I like to go down and talk to Miss Webb and all my girlfriends and, and uh, I like to shake the young men's hand and, and I cut up with, with people. And people think, well, he's just got that natural knack and gift. No, I didn't. My daddy did. And I can remember thinking, how did he do that? So I finally asked him. And he said, I just started. He said, I, I, had, I had to start. He said, it wasn't natural for me. And it was not natural for me. But I got to thinking about it more and more. And by the way, I'm too short to see that clock good, so we're in trouble. Uh, (laughs) If we choose to do what God wants us to do, then we start. Uh, I'm sure most of y'all know, and, and especially the ladies, about crocheting. My grandmother did it all the time. She just... She'd sit there, and she did not look, just keep on talking to you. And she'd rap and loop and everything else. And we were sitting there one night, and she had an old black and white TV about this big, and lightning came, and he went out. And when the lights came back on, you know what Granny was doing? Still crocheting. And I wonder, I wonder, you know, Granny just had the knack for it. So I asked her, I said, Granny, you know, you're just good at this. And she just went, oh, and she clapped. She's a little bitty girl, and she just clapped. She said, you should have seen the stuff I did several years ago when Granny was on up in age. She said, it doesn't come. You just practice on it. What's the difference? What's the difference in learning to love? You know, Mr. Gene Pig is a good shot on skate. My friend and his two sons, Bob, Bob Northern, is a good shot. But I'll bet you, when they first started, they wasn't that great. Why do you think they have driving ranges for people that go practice? You start practicing what you want to become good at. You know, I heard an elder in Florida say that if we practice what the early church did in Acts, the latter part of Acts 2, if the community saw the love that God wants us to have for each other, the community would start seeing it so much that we would have to build two more buildings if we just worked on that. But it doesn't come by just saying, okay, we're going to love. You have to start. The Chinese said that uh, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. We already got the love here. So I'd like for you to visualize, in, in, in kind of closing, I'd like for you to visualize this. And by the way, I didn't get started at quarter till like y'all said I would. So visualize a tornado, but not in the bad sense, but in the sense of what it actually is. And in the center of a tornado, there's a calm. I talked to a pilot, and that was his job in the Air Force, and he was a tornado chaser. And he said, getting into the center is a trip. But he said, when you're flying in the center, whether it's brief or big, he said, it is so calm. Think of that tornado, and that center is God. Okay, God's got the power to start generating. And I'm sitting here saying, I, I, I really want to, to, to have brotherly love. I really want to, 
but I don't really know how to start. I don't really know how to start showing that I have it. So we pray, God, help me find a way to just do simple things to show brotherly love. We start to enact. God adds that to us, and we love. But what happens, we start jumping in that tornado. Because as we love, we want more brotherly love, and we pray. God adds to us, and we love, and we have more brotherly love, and we pray. And as we do that, the power keeps circling and getting stronger and stronger. And the person we influence starts, hey, you know, this is great. I like this. So he starts, and, and then you have his power. And you have more and more and more. So what I see, and I know my opinion doesn't amount to anything, but what I see that God has given us the example. God has told us how we do it. He's shown us. I, I told the um, class that I had the opportunity to work with back in the winter, one of my goals in life is John fifteen twelve. It's one of my goals. And after that night, I got to think about it. I hope that they weren't saying, boy, hey, y'all look at me type thing. It wasn't that at all. Let me read John 15, 12, 13, and 14 for you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command. I would like, as a goal, to bring myself to a point that I love the brothers, the brotherhood worldwide, that I would be willing to die for anybody here. And that's not saying, hey, you know, PD, that's great, because Jesus already did it. I would just be following his example, and we're told that a servant that serves is only doing his just, just job. Only doing his job. What I'd like to see is us take the love that we have here, the brotherly love we have for each other. I'd like for the young folks, the not-so-young folks, the folks in the middle, I'd like everybody to start saying, and you know, in that, sometimes... It just comes back when the person that is not so lovable may need the most love. He may be somebody that snaps at you or gnarly or, or whatever. He may just need or she may just need somebody to care for him. And changes everything. And each person can do that. A hug, a smile, a handshake, a nice word. Going by and helping with the yard. Bringing a bush of apples. Just anything that we know. And as Jay says, the more we know about people, the more that we can help. And the more that we help, the more it comes back. And you know, there are so many things I had verses after verses, and I literally did have rewritten in my mind this a thousand times. And you could talk three or four hours about the verses in the Bible and the Old Testament and Proverbs and everything else that tells us about our friends. But what can talk when he says, uh, Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
what can top that? I'm never really nervous in front of uh, talking about to the group here because I know that you look over my ignorance and my country boy ways. You know, my puppy loves me. My puppy loves me. My puppy doesn't love me because I'm big and strong and handsome like Greg Myers or as tall as, as, tall as Jacob Crisp or you know, as good a shot as Mr. Jean Pig or having as much money as this person or that. She doesn't care, and I've got hoof up hoof print, paw prints on my suit that I wear to church. Well, she doesn't care if I'm in a suit or not. She's going to jump on me. If I've got jeans on, she's going to jump. She loves me for me. Now, you say that, except you say, God loves me, loves P.D., loves Rick, loves whoever, loves me. Not because what you have, what you got, where you, you know, he loves you. The difference is, you know, Paul said, who can separate us from the love of God? What can separate, not principalities or powers, whatever. You know, there is somebody that can separate you from it. And Paul, he alludes to it, but he doesn't say, who can separate us from God's love? Who can separate us from brotherly love? The only person that, that can separate PD from God's love and PD from loving you is PD. I'm the only one. You know, I've heard people say, I hope God judges me well and I go to heaven. <laughs> God's already said, I want you all saved. The thing of it is, we determine... The world generally says, you know, about God, but the reality of it is we determine if we go to heaven or not. We determine, not, not uh, God. Because God's already laid the plan out. He's already given his son. He's already given us every tool we need, every tool. All we have to do is decide to do it. And in my mind, the best way to start that with brotherly love because when that comes, everything else falls right into place. God's invitation is not David's or mine or Dwayne's or Pat's or the elders here or any person. So whether I'm up here or Jay or whatever, God has a 24-7 invitation. He says, come to my love. But like if I'm thirsty, I have to go out there and get a drink of water. God's not going to say, I know you're thirsty, P.D., so I'm going to bring that water fountain here to you. God says, no, P.D., I've given you the water fountain. I've given you the way through. You choose whether you would like to be part of that. If anybody has a need in any way of God's love, please come. Elders, David, Andrew, somebody here will be able to help you to pray, to baptize, to cry with, to laugh with, whatever. If you have need of this God's love, please come as we stand.